Welcome back to Therapy Business Matters with myself, Rob Bevan, and Jack Chu. Today, we're discussing sales and healthcare. Is sales always a, a cringy word that we should be shying away from? And is it always associated with nefarious hucksters who are trying to make people buy things that they don't really want or even need? Or is it a vital part of running a healthcare service or a healthcare practice? Now, Jack, we both run private practices. You know, that is something that some people synonymize with bad practice and uh, and selling and pushy sales and, and unfortunately poor healthcare. So why does selling have this name associated with it of being cringy, being awkward, being bad? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think uh, I love the word hookster, by the way. That's, that's oh. absolutely brilliant. You, you <laughs> caught me out with that. It made me chuckle. Yeah, I think that that's the thing is that this just general, generally people recognize that there's something unethical to exploiting the vulnerable that come to um, and in healthcare. Um, it is so, it's something that's so obvious. And I think that some of the some of the biggest examples of malpractice and exploitation and abuse in various different contexts are kind of nested in, in healthcare or perceived from, you know, when someone is at their most vulnerable and most needy, that they then look to a professional. And so therefore, the, the last thing from their mind is sort of the uh, used car salesman style tactics that can sometimes mean that, you know, with with a with a gift of a gab, uh, maybe they could take advantage of, of of someone's better nature or take advantage of a moment in which they're kind of hyped to, to buy something that they maybe either don't want or don't need. And that's something that, that I think is it's it's something that is both an upside and a downside in our profession it's got an upside in the fact that it kind of keeps us all sharp and i think it's something that should be smart that, that medical ethics need and and the act of doing no harm needs to apply across the board and for business practices to not corrupt care however it also has this massive downside whereby sometimes that is overplayed um, and there's various different things both in terms of as individuals sometimes we're we're, we're too harsh on ourselves and each other in that and not recognizing that, that sales is an important part of what we do but then also that, that you then end up with this 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 baggage whereby even on the politics of it that, that people can then smear um whole swathes of individuals or, or sections and sectors within the industry um as if to suggest there's something unethical inherently to the act of of, of practicing and that that is certainly not good for the maturity of conversation of which is why this podcast exists of course so um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating one and one that I'm looking forward to sort of weighing in on some of those edge cases, I guess. I think that one of the things we could do is we could overgeneralize and not get into the detail. And I think that that's where the, the detail and, and some of the examples that we could bring to bear and we've spoken about off air. I think that's where the sort of magic happens with this and how we can sort of take a bit of pressure off ourselves, but then similarly not go too far as to, to allow anything to go and to pretend that there aren't hucksters and chisters and, and charlatans or whatever words we need for making sure we find a way to to, to, to toe that line sensibly. No, exactly. And I think that one of the reasons that it gets, unfortunately, a, a bad name is that when someone is in pain and we're rare in that industry, that in the healthcare industry, we see people who are in pain. And I guess, not more so in private practice, but definitely in private practice, you know, you've probably been in the same, you've gone out to your waiting room and you've seen a patient and they're lying on the floor or they're kneeling on the floor or they've been carried in by a friend, you know, and, you know, we probably have one a week, you know, if not more of people who are in the, you know, severely bad way. And, you know, 
people will do anything to get out of pain. So they will, uh, the bad word, is this the right term? Fall for it. But, you know, people, you know, if they're sold a, a, a golden egg of something that's going to make them feel better tomorrow, they will buy it no matter what the cost, you know, and especially if, you know, when it comes to pain, money is often not really an option. People will do anything when it comes, when it comes to getting back to play with their children or to, you know, drive to work or do their job. You know, people will part with, you know, as we've both have lots of examples of, I'm sure, huge sums of money to feel better tomorrow, which, you know, often relies on single interventions and, you know, unevidence-based practices, unfortunately. And, you know, that's part of why the reason these stories get spoken about and, you know, it's yeah. always going to be a bias of, you know, unfortunately poor, poor examples is always going to bias the, the, the conversation. It's cheap, but that's the chicken and the egg thing, isn't it? It's like, do, do these examples that make all of our eyes water whereby someone has been, have been, their expectations have been completely mismanaged based on a false premise more often than not from a well-meaning clinician or set of clinicians that are then just inferring a really monocausal approach to a complex story. And therefore this person has spent often tens of thousands of pounds on various different interventions and, and people that have overpromised and underdelivered. Um, is that what then drives our sensitivity to sales? And therefore that somehow then gets to dictate the narrative. Or is it that we've got such a high sensitivity to it and then those that are less bothered or less in touch with their own sort of sense of, of ethics, um, you know, is, is that the, the, the you know, chicken and egg, cart before horse? It's hard to know. Um, I think on, on what you've just described then is that if we're, uh, uh, unless we have, and I'm surprised if, the, if it's out there because I've gone looking for it, but if we have the evidence to suggest that it's sort of a, m a majority of case, right? So in, in private healthcare, of course, we're talking about therapy business here. Um, then if we, if we were to understand that that's actually an ascendant and majority case, whereby either people as charlatans purposefully misleading and, 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 and something like that, uh, or those that are just someone that, that is behind the trends with regards to understanding mechanisms, <laughs> interventions, and the like. Oof, that made me jump. We've got a we've got a, we've got a, a co-host as Rob's dog's just getting involved. There he is. <laughs> um, so, if that it was in the majority, then you're in a different conversation. But I just don't think there's the evidence to suggest that. I think it's absolutely reasonable to recognise that these features exist, but it's not fair to smear uh, a corner of an industry on it. And so instead, we, think we need to start thinking about the fact that there's so much good practice and so much ethical practice that let's, let's hope is in the majority, but it's at least a big portion of, of what's going on, people looking to care for people. Um, and that is something that needs to be recognised as being also ascendant and important in this conversation. And if we start off at that point where we can recognise that, yes, there's some bad, but there's also some good. And there's also some people that then go too far in recognising that they're so averse to sales because they see that as being somehow unethical inherently, that they then under-treat or under-evaluate and therefore don't well serve that person in pain, then that's an overcorrection that we need to try and account for as well. And so on balance, you know, I just think that that's why, you know, we need to chat about it at the very least. And I think that's one of the reasons why it makes it you know, and, and a, a sticky or an, an icky topic, isn't it? Because we're, people are so desperate to not be associated with that hmm. poor model. And, you know, especially if people have come from a previous model like that, you know, I've had patients that have come in and they've said, oh, yeah, I just had a bit of an achy back and the guy wanted me to, you know, have 1800 quids worth of treatment or whatever it was. And then, or I wanted, he wanted to see me three times a week for eight weeks, you know, whatever it may be, whatever the model might be at that time it wasn't appropriate clearly 
And then I can then, I've done it myself. I've been so desperate not to be associated with that. I've under-delivered and I, or I've undersold and I've said, you know, what this person actually needs. And I've actually gone more to the, yeah, we'll, we'll just see how it goes, which, you know, I'm under-servicing that, that, that patient because I'm so desperate to, to move away from that, you know, existing model or that poor model. Yeah, there's definitely that overcompensation. And I think that that's something I think we can all get sucked into, especially in cases in which they, their story is littered with people that have often inadvertently taken advantage. I think one of the things to be said, although we're not going to be able to get stuck into it in this podcast, is that the reason that and me and you, most of the chats that we've had over the years, especially as we've got to know each other, I say over the years, it's like we've been long friends. You know, It's been a fairly, um, a fairly intense year of us getting to know each other, really. Uh, to do to do all of this together, but we we often talk about sort of clinical issues and have sort of sized each other up over clinical reasoning is because that's where it really matters. Is that are you in a position where you're inferring that you can help someone through something with mechanisms of effect that are dubious, without an eye on the evidence base or, or understanding how the evidence might inform your practice in such a way that then. When people have then said, look, your back's only aching, I know your back's aching a bit now, but they genuinely feel that you need that 1800 quid's worth of treatment as you described it, because you need to correct for these biomechanical faults that we've come to unearth. This is what your x-ray shows. These are the inevitabilities of inaction. You know, they've, they've managed to, what we would argue, delude themselves over that. But that is something that is why you and I are often at pains to talk about clinical examples. It's like, the clinical stuff, the evidence-informed stuff that how is what is the best way to treat said knee, shoulder, back, like that is central to the reasoning that pre that is prior to the sales, right? That's why we want to talk about this, but also why you don't start with that. You know, yeah. and, and that's the thing that 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 people often get frustrated in if they're if they're always wearing this business hat, right? The, the, the world littered with with you know business coaches and stuff like that, especially right now. And I understand why I've sort of spoken about it on my tune it over show about the fact that there's this esteem issue going on at various different parts of the of the industry. Is that that if they're thinking in that business sense or sense all the time, they're irritated when someone like like us then speak about the fact that well, clinical first, right? Because or reasoning first or because they they sort of like well no they are so used to the um, lack of ethics on sales um, uh, yeah, and, and and as you said if you're and if the, the your clinical reasoning dictates your sales so if you if you fully believe that you are trying to you know I can't think of an example you know uh, you know realign the curve in someone's spine and you know and that takes three months to six months to a year to correct itself then that's going to underpin your sales because there's no it's that or this there's you know it, it's a it's a false dichotomy it's not like you know to have this it takes six months you know full stop so that's going to take x amount of treatment so that's always going to underpin your sales tactics whereas if you are on, on the say the, the complete other end of the spectrum when you think everybody's you know, completely kind of 100 self-managed all of their issues then that's going to dictate your your business and your sales which is mm. okay we'll, we'll do once we'll, we'll give them some some exercises maybe some soft tissue whatever your practice is and then we'll send them on their way to kind of self-manage and hope they have enough self-efficacy to manage that so those are kind of the terms of the spectrum which and it's dictated your your sales package or your treatment package will be dictated by your beliefs i guess well that's the thing with both in that, that weirdly it's contentious like both on a patient level and on a therapist level it is some people just don't be- agree with what we're saying there, that beliefs do influence behaviours. And that, that that's not always, that they're not always sort of really uh, dynamically attached, but they often do influence it. It's like, why wouldn't they? And, yeah. and that's the sort of thing whereby 
if a patient feels that their spine is, is, is so vulnerable, it's almost like glass, that's going to influence their behaviors, their movements, et cetera, their patterns, their, the way in which they interact with the world. But then similarly, if a, if a therapist also then believes that, then the indications as to what care they might deliver or the behavior around uh, that person's body uh, and the way that they then suggest what treatment they need, that's why clinical education is something that ends up being first, second, and third on, on our list. But then once you've kind of got that in line, it is, it is unethical for you to then co compromise the care delivery and the expl explanation and the expectations that you then relate to the patient and the prognosis. You know, all of those yeah. things that, 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 that to, 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 to stop that because of your squeamishness over sales is, is ridiculous, especially because we kind of know the engagement with rehabilitation that we've talked about on, on this show and beyond over time is so key to their behavior change that we know has been sort of real, really important to their recovery or to their management of this problem ongoing, is that, that never think about it in the sales or of, of, of money changing hands, right? But you're, you're needing to sell that idea. You need, them to, you need to get them to comply and sell that, that concept and compliance. Yeah. That therefore, that of course we're selling, regardless of context, regardless of whether you're in the public, private, charity sector, I don't care. You want you needing to sell that idea. You're selling yourself to them. You know there are many different things outside of of, of money that you're yeah. selling, and therefore the totally concepts agree. we're talking about is really important. Yeah, you, we we sell trust at the end of the day, and we sell an experience, and we sell everything from. And when that, as you said, whether you're in private practice or the NHS, when you walk out to see a patient and you introduce yourself and you you say hi, yeah, I'm going to look, be looking after you today. If you're selling yourself and you're you're selling your trust or that that patient's trust that they have to believe in what you say, and that goes both ways. Whether you're trying to you know sell them that they they're not going to be running for the next three months because they've got an acute hamstring tear or whatever it may be, they have to believe you. And if you're shy and you are looking down at the floor and you haven't introduced yourself properly and you're not animated and you know enthusiastic when you're speaking to a patient, as as one example if it's appropriate, there are, you know, that patient's not going to believe you. And then you are, you're selling yourself and then you're necessary. You might be underselling yourself, which is not going to garner that trust and that rapport and ultimately may do that patient, not always, but may do that patient a disservice. You know, if they don't believe you and they think, Oh, this isn't going to take three months. What's he talking about? It's not that bad. And then, you know, within six weeks, they, you know, go for a sprint session on the beach and then re injure themselves. You know, you've done that patient a disservice because you aren't aware of how you should have sold that experience to them, and that's completely aside from from money. You know, that money's got nothing mm -hmm. to do with that. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's why if you if you imagine that the a thorough thorough examination and then discussion around the the variables at play with that patient, and then the negotiation of of what is the what how how are they going to be able to comply with a treatment plan that you're pitching? And I, it is a pitch. Yeah. Um, then, um, then you know, it all, it all falls down on that. And this temptations in, and I think that that's the thing that I want to make sure I admit, and this is where some people might feel that like this is just a projection because it's an admission from me that I think is representative of others I've spoken to and, and witnessed. But generally speaking, I think that when you sat there, this, there is temp, there is temptation to over reassure and, and, and therefore to infer please worry less about this and actually, you know, given, given the right circumstances with or without me, this is going to do fair, do very well. And then sometimes that's an appropriate thing to say, by the way, but you know, if you go too far that way, you're not offering the support that they actually are, are requiring and needing. But then there's also this, I think a devil on my shoulder sometimes whereby you can so understand a, a temptation to 
get more involved and to infer that they need you more than they do and that some people um, in some circumstances might well have pound signs as being one of the things that is motivating that behavior that temptation to think well maybe maybe this person would be better off if they saw me every day this conversation's gone well this assessment's gone well this treatment's gone well therefore if we replicate that at a frequency that might seem unusual then actually that you know you, you can convince yourself of yeah. that and 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 i just i just i i admit those sensations bubbling up in me and respect the fact that i don't succumb to them but equally to pretend that they're not there um, i think is, is is a fallacy yeah so what would dictate you changing what you felt was right for a patient so if you have a a patient that you feel needs x but they are in the negotiation stage and they without putting words in your mouth, you know, depending on what type, what type of patient would they have to be that would, uh, that would make you change your mind about what you felt was necessary? Would, would there be any patient traits or any particular injuries or would it be based on pain levels, finance, you know, mm. what would change anything for you? Yeah. Two, two key variables on that would be how, how much on my assessment of them have I, and you only ever going off best guess as well as you can use some fairly clunky uh, measures for this, but you kind of assessing as to, is there something that my treatment could compromise their self-efficacy or facilitate their self-efficacy for them to actually have a, a set? Because they their sense of self, their sense of robustness is really important to me as a sort of really quite intangible outcome. And so um, that would be some one of the things that sort of dictated the frequency of, of, of care um, that not, I wouldn't dictate, but it would definitely be where that might influence my pitch. So you might assess someone and recognize that this is someone that definitely I feel would benefit from us continuing this care and seeing them weekly however in a situation whereby um and obviously and they can and you can give them that opportunity to but with regards to when you realize that actually one of the things that's in your story is that the frequency only ever increases and that there isn't really there's no mechanism of exposure to you having to make any of your own decisions and that there's a um uh, you know, you look at someone's previous episode of care, whether they're under our care or under someone else's care, and you hear of that story and you think that there was never a moment in which you really had to then act on it. You had to self-direct your own dosage. You needed yeah. to sort of decatastrophize that yourself. And so therefore that need and exposure of literally time passing between appointments might be a key intervention that I've evaluated. So that's one thing. The second, The second one is whether they are in a situation where they can adjust their lifestyle to be most compatible with the treatment I'm pitching. So for example, their employment status um, and their own admission of their financial circumstance, not because of payment to us, but I mean the fact that they are a mechanic or a plaster needing to work overhead at a frequency of which is continually pissing off their subacromial pain. And we kind of know that they need at least a relative rest from some of those really aggravating things that seems to be really irritating, bursa yeah. cum tendum cum, whatever it might be, right? And those are the sorts of things whereby a discussion around, you know, is there a time frame of which we can try and take you off that, even though I know it's massively disruptive to your lifestyle? And it, 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 if not, is there a frequency in which we might intervene or even sometimes a dosage of medication or dosage of pain relief of any manual flavor or whatever it might be, that would then mean that you're just admitting that there's, there's, there's no circumstance in the world, barring me literally fracturing this arm, which is often a, a tactic I use, by the way, saying, well, what if it was in a cast tomorrow? You fall over and it's in a cast tomorrow. You're literally not doing it then. 
oh yeah, that's different. Why is it different? Can you not buy me a few weeks like you would do? I like that. I sometimes use, but it's getting so it's me that I force the issue on some relative rest. And, and again, I'm selling that idea, aren't I? So let's not pretend that that's not sales. But I'm kind of getting at the fact that when you would change the change the conversation to this is the this is the ideal way in which you will interact with the world i think for the next few weeks or months or whatever that would optimize your recovery and if you're admitting to me for whatever reason that that you can't there's no way you could do that then then that's where we might change the intervention or change the plan to best suit your needs i mean what what examples do you have where you've felt that you need to alter what might be optimal generically because you're tailoring it to a, a, a consumer thing mine will probably be probably more unique to me as a chiropractor than than right. you may see as a physio probably i will the people who will come in to see me and they may have been heavily reliant on on something going back into place or popping out of place and and other patients that I, I could think of one who i saw just after christmas who had seen a chiropractor um might have been, I think in a different country she started and then came to this mm. this place, our country. And she um, had been seeing chiropractor once a week, give or take, you know, for 20, 30 years, you know, just standard. It was just, she was on a, like a, it, I mean, money aside, it was actually a fairly cheap plan, but that's by the, besides the point, but she was heavily reliant on, oh, any niggle, pop in, see the chiropractor. And she'd walk in and it would be three minutes, she'd be out the door. And in that case, for a patient then to come in and see me and I say, yeah, we're going to do some squats and we're going to do some lunges and I'm going to see you in six weeks is not for me an appropriate management because she's going to walk out of there and go, mm, not really happy about that. What if I need to see him next week? He doesn't want to see me next week. What, what happens if I have pain? She's going to then go somewhere else who may not have the same ethical or the same treatment basis that I have. And then she might fall back into that cycle. So I would say that for me would then do that patient a disservice. So I would probably in that case, see that patient more frequently um, in order to garner that rapport and garner that, that trust in me that then I can then slowly unpack those beliefs. And then I can, rather than laying it all out on day one, you know, meet her in the middle and then slowly kind of step back. And then within six weeks, I can know that, and this, this is a lady, she's a runner. And now I, I see her son and her son was saying, she's so reliant on, on this chiropractor. You need to change her mind. You need to, you know, she, any niggle that she, she runs and sees someone. And she, he, I saw her son and she's like, she's doing 50 squats every morning, uh, you know, before she, before she plays with the grandchildren, all that stuff. And for me, that's an amazing outcome measure that she's, a, not only is she a, feeling better, that's because she wasn't actually in a lot of pain anyway. She just had this belief that she needed to, but it was her self-efficacy has improved. And that's the outcome measure. So that's where I change. Whereas when I see a patient who, say, for example, they are a triathlete and they are very good at doing doing rehab. You know, every morning they wake up and they do 15 minutes of yoga and then they do 15 minutes of rehab and then they do their kind of training on the side of that. That's the patient when you know, they've got that, I've got that trust. We're on the same page from day one and I can trust them to go away and do some stuff for a couple of weeks and then come back and see me. So my, my treatment beliefs are the same when it comes to both of those patients, but my, my, my pitch or my package of, of, of care, if you can use that term is different to, for those two different patients. Yeah. It's, if you, the duration of time of which you've been able to adjust the expectation on that care, especially when there's been a story where you're needing to uncouple some unhelpful beliefs. Yeah. And if that, that is beyond of more often than not beyond the session, you know, it's like, it's too abrupt. If you were to try to overhaul that lifetime's worth of, of perception, bodily perception in one session, therefore you've got to go, go steady on that. And sometimes that frequency 
uh, is something that, you know, the, the rationale for why you're seeing someone frequently is so key, you know, it's rather than the actual numbers. That It's where the, the qualitative certainly overrides the quantitative. But what is it that you're doing that for? You know, why might you follow up with someone within days? It's often just to make sure that your, your messages land or that there's a comprehension there that doesn't then lead to a dispute that only grows. It's yeah. different to saying, see you tomorrow because we need to keep realigning you. It's, it's just a different phenomenon. But also, I think what's interesting, you know, your triathlete you've just described, then uh, and a decent stereotype there in, in many ways for us just to play on is that 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 that, that um, you know there's a circumstance whereby they've just missed the curb and they've then jarred their knee back right they've flared up a fat pad that's a new new episode of fat pad pain or something like that right and they inter- they come in they assess for it and this is someone you've you've seen before you kind of comprehend their self efficacy they've uh, self managed and recovered well prior for various different say tendinopathies or, or stress reactions or whatever that they've had but this this person that you've seen that then you do a, I mean, one of my favorites, I'm using the fat pad as an example because it's like a t- taping technique for the fat pad is just like, you know, it's my, it's my go-to. Um, and so say you were to do that and to offload that um, and give some relief to it and, and that, you know, arguably you could try to get them to self-apply that, but say they can't do so quite as effectively. If you were to see that person a couple of times a week as a means of administering that whilst they were to start to, to develop their own recovery, and this is someone that then also just didn't want to take whatever drugs they could get, that, that, that actually the tape's far more effective than any drugs for, for just taking the edge off this for a bit of time uh, whilst they're needing to still walk into work or whatever, then you're in a situation where it would be so strange if that then created some sort of passive dependency in this person from what you've come to understand them of even if you've never seen them before but based on their behaviors and your clinical instinct as to the likelihood of them then being in a situation where you're never going to be able to stop strapping the knee it just seems so yeah. bizarre that they would become that person and that's a that's a je ne sais quoi of clinical judgment that this what on earth is unethical about that if it's to facilitate sensible rehabilitation that then also creates a robust self-managing very athletic person who who's got a decent bodily perception you've not and, and, and obviously the the suggestion as to what that tape is doing is obviously key to that is that you know if you're saying that that uh, that, that, that tape is doing more than it is that's another issue but yeah. when you're not doing and you're explaining it sensibly and it is a, just a pain relieving modality in the brief term why not you know it's like that's where it seems silly and that that why is that not sales right why is I, that not i guess that comes down to as well in terms of the financial model I mean, if you are, if they're reliant on that, I mean, are you, because we have similar situations to that. And I often say to patients, yeah, you know, if, as long as, you know, aside from however you explain the tape works, and if you are selling them all sorts of nonsense about it, then that's a different question, probably not up for discussion here. But the, you know, in the example that you used is a prime one, um, which can make a big difference um, quite quickly. We do that, but I will often say, yeah, that's fine. If this makes a big difference, I'm happy to retape it if you need to but I won't charge them for that. You know, I will say just pop in in between two treatment, in between another treatment session or at the end of the day, and I'll just pop a bit of tape on. Um, and that's my model. And I'm sure pro- people probably listen to this thinking you're an idiot. You know, you could charge them for your time. But that for me then changes the the meaningfulness of that intervention. And if it's an intervention which, you know, we know is a short-term intervention to allow them to function, you know, then I won't charge it, it Come in. Yeah, it takes three minutes to to pop some tape on, five minutes to that. You might have a little chat and check everything's going okay as well. Then that's to me is similar to just giving someone a ring after work, giving them a phone call. Uh yeah, I don't charge them for that for, for that time. Um so I think it, it depends on on the meaningfulness of that intervention, really. 
Absolutely, yeah. And it's a good example whereby you can really comprehend that being a, sometimes even 90 second um, between between patient thing. I suppose what's different is that sometimes that might be for the uh, distance of which they're traveling, the circumstances yeah. of which the likelihood of them saying, especially, you know, the, the intensity of some triathletes, and I'm, I'm not calling them on this, but it's just that while I'm here, man, if we just have a little look over my Strava, yeah. uh, you know, I, now, now I mention yeah. it. This is, also, this is also it, something. And that, I that, depends that on their belief. I think it depends on their belief as well. And I think that's when you have to fall in, is careful of their, of their belief on that intervention. Because I'm sure you've had patients who you've explained tape or treatment or whatever it might be to, but they don't listen, or I say don't listen, they haven't fully understood it, probably through our fault rather than theirs, or they're just so reliant on tape, for an example, that you know they come in and say, oh yeah, that tape really did kind of help drain that fluid off my knee, or it did help activate my quad, so I felt strong when I was running. <laughs> that's when you be, that's when it is careful, and that's when you have got to be careful about that. About oh yeah, just pop back in, I'll retape it, um, because then that's when you need to then have a bigger conversation. I think about understanding what, what, what it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and then that's the that's the difference because yeah, there's there's an upper limit to what can be done in those like sneaking between appointment type interventions. Yes, but then there's also it does depend as to how much did the education that accompanied it land, and if it if it's something that needs to be reiterated even you know, more than just slightly, you know, and, and you don't always know, you know, you're like right, like, yeah, you know, we're just sneaky in, and then whilst you're doing it, they go, what's this doing again? And if that what's it doing again comes, you know, ends up being a back and forth, it probably has been a bit clumsy to try and sneak them in because fundamentally maybe it needs to be a bit more that lands on this. And that if you, you know you'd kick yourself if you run past they run past you in the street in eight weeks' time, recovered but with a bit of tape on that they've self-administered. You, you know full well that they've thought that that is something more biomechanically corrective or, or yeah. more necessary uh, to their to them than you'd think. You, you know you'd kick yourself because you'd not you'd not book that in for a, for a more thorough discussion alongside other things. So it is so context specific. And that's, what's interesting is that, you know, me and you are so guilty of this is we're on a therapy business matters podcast, right? But we can't help but say that the, the clinical, the clinical stuff should be informing this. And, and that, that should be the way in which you're managing those expectations. Now, one of the, the examples that we talked about is how do you go about sort of, um, I called it a pitch, I think, early on this show, but I often do, uh, is that do a thorough subjective and objective assessment um, and come to a plan. You start to then discuss, when I'm having a back and forth with them about this, this is what I would propose uh, as the the treatment plan Uh, and, and explaining the analysis as part of that. What are your tactics as to then um selling that package and they'll also selling the the frequency and and, and sometimes even will, will then no doubt it will visit uh, the cost of that as well yeah so in 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 the Cairo world this is always called the reporter findings that's i don't know whether you use that that phrase or not but that's the reporter findings when you 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 sit down with a patient and you say yeah so this is x y and z this is what's going on so i'll always start with the with the problem um so this this is what's going on um and then i will then refer to usual natural timeframes for recovery um, in terms of, you know, realistically, what, how long is this going to take? Whether that's an ankle, say an ankle sprain, for example, this, you know, we know within six weeks and you, you're going to be back to in the vast majority of cases, be back running, sprinting, jogging, jumping, whatever it is, if you follow these protocols. Um, and that might be rehab. That might be some, some lifestyle, whatever it might be the, the, if you follow these. 
And then I think as we alluded to off air, I do very similar to, to what you do, which is I will give you those parameters for this is what will help and this is what will make it worse. You know, if you go out tomorrow and go and compete in that triathlon, it might make it worse. It might not, but it might make it worse. And then that might set you back a bit further than if you were fully recovered. If you then re-injured it again, you know, that's going to set you back another six weeks from where we are now. That's kind of the, the time frame I will. Um I try and be overconfident in, in with patients, you know, when they're, they're looking for, they are looking for hard and fast answers. You know, a lot of the time they're not looking for an underconfidence. I'm not really sure about this. I think if you generally don't know, or we don't know, then that's fine to say, but they are looking for answers. If they're saying, are you the person to help me saying, well, actually, yes, I am. But so there's lots of other people that's not really going to help that patient. That's not going to build that trust or that confidence. Whereas if you're saying, yes, I am the best person right now to help you. And if I'm not, I will direct you to the person who you need to see. Then that is a completely different turn of phrase, which turns around the intervention for you. So it's giving them confidence. Um, and then also I'll tell them what happens if they did nothing. You know, what would happen if, if you completely left this and went home tomorrow? Um, and then in, it, that's different for every single condition, you know, which we, which patients see us. Um, and then I'll give them a, an estimated number of treatments. I'll give them a, a frequency um, and then go from there, really. And then in my practice, well, I'll always do some form of intervention on that first session, whatever that may be, whether that's exercises. I, I'm not a fan of the, yeah, go home and think about it. And then we'll come back in and do our first session next week. That's not my that's not i mean rarely in some cases that's appropriate but they're few and far between i think in a lot of cases outside of really really acute traumatic injuries or something you've got to refer on for for some imaging or refer on to a different practitioner that's a different different question but i I'm, i'll always do some form of intervention of some kind in that in that first session as well so those are kind of the tactics that i will use um i'm a, I'm a big hater of fear-mongering type tactics you know which is the I'm the only person that can ever help you. You know, you're going to die if you don't have this intervention. You know, you're going to have spinal arthritis. All those phrases, which you know, you know, you hate. And Thank I God hate, you're here. Thank yeah. God you're here, just in yeah. time. And I, I, anything which, yeah, it says promoting that reliance. I guess which we said before is not is not for me. You know, that's not my that's not my not my cup of tea, really. So and I'm sure it's not yours either. Con- no, I mean, on that conviction piece, it's such an interesting reflection because that's something that I think people are, it's one of the reasons why I think sales is so uncomfortable for so many people is because we're in such a funny spot with MSK that there is so much uncertainty and we're then handling that uncertainty. Um, and that when you're then, what I said was pitching, um, I prefer report of, <laughs> report of findings. I don't think it's something that we've used, but why not? Um, and I think that, then there are people that would be too cavalier and too convinced of their own pattern there and, and sort of therefore be quite rigid and, and, and not manage expectations well because they are just, be, yes, it's, it's something that this sort, sort of a potent style of intervention to then say, this is, this is going to work, that, you know, then be the facts of the matter. That is a bit of an overpromise on something yeah. that is, is, is uh, I know what you're not suggesting. But then similarly, when people that are too, too vague and too dithery and say, well, this maybe is probably worth us trying sort of kind of, and, you know, I, I, I can, it's worth a try. It, it, you're right. It's not fair. But also I think what I'd encourage people to do, and again, it's, again, forgive me for being a bit clinical about it again, is, the best way to feel comfortable in those circumstances is to be comfortable in those circumstances. And by that is when you're saying, I think I'm the best person to help you with this right now, you've got to believe it, assess them thoroughly, listen to them carefully and, and be the person in the world in that moment in time, they're sat in front of you. So the odds are in your favor. 
is that what you're about to suggest to them, be comfortable that you are, even if you're not convinced that this is going to work or anything like that, you're definitely in a situation where the odds are in your favor to be the right person for them. And so don't allow for sort of a monkey on your back or a chip on your shoulder to, to sort of affect you too, too much on something like that. I think it's something that really you're better off erring on the side of, of, of confident there because it's not, it's, it's both for good for sales tactics, but also I think odds are that that's actually accurate. You are, you know, the, yeah. the, the, you are likely to be the best person to help them with it. And I think that that's something that does, does bother people is that they think that because there's some, there's so many gray areas and there's so much vagueness that comes from the evidence as, as it's informing our practice and, and the, lack of conviction we now have over the mechanisms of effect compared to yesteryear means that that needs to be transferred into every conversation with the patients. So every question that they say, we have to say, I don't know about three or four times as a caveat to proceed what we're actually going to suggest. And it's something that that that, that style of, of dithering or sometimes over academic musing is certainly not a smart no. move, not just for no. sales, but also for, for instilling that confidence. Yeah, and and re- patients don't care about you know the, the realistically about the you know the cook and purder model of you know progressive tendinopathy. You know they don't they don't, they don't really they don't care about the difference between tendinitis and tendinopathy. Some people do, of course they do, and that's appropriate to go into that conversation when it is. Mm-hmm. But the majority of people, all they want to know is, are you the person to help me? How long is it going to take to get better? What can I can't I do? And those are the kind of the most important things. And you know. I like to think of when a patient leaves my clinic and this is what I say to my staff and the other people we have working with me is, you know, when that patient walks out, those are the things that they should know. Are you the person that's going to help them? What are you going to do? How long is it going to take? And what, you know, what factors are going to influence that? Whether that's my lifestyle, whether it's my work habits, whether it's my exercise habits, that's it. You know, they're not going to get home and talk to their partner about substance P, you know, it's not something which they're going to go, go down that line. And it's, you don't need to, if, I'm sure we've all had patients. I had a I had a molecular biologist who was fascinated in in the various stages of things like that, which you know she knew, actually knew far more about it than I did. But uh, and we're interested to have that conversation. But those are the one in a hundred patients, realistically. If you've had the sense, you've you've found that out. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, I, you know I, that. I, I, it's like the, the the most important things that um, you know what what you, you've got to find out their expectation. It's the most important. I might have said it. Forgive me if I've said this on yeah. this very podcast before, uh, but certainly, like the two most important questions in my subjective towards the end of it, um, usually. But um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly versatile with regards to the order of which I do things when I'm when I'm doing said interview. But um, you know, what, just out of interest, what do you think's going on? Yeah, and finding a way to force that answer. So something you know, more often than not, people will. And it sounds harsh to say force, but I mean, like people will just I'm not clear. That's why I'm here. And so I, I then follow up quite hard on that and say, which is like best guess. Everyone's got a best guess. I promise yeah. I'm not going to hold you to it. Don't worry. I want to unearth what they think is going on in their deepest recesses of their mind if they have to engage with it. Yeah. And then the second thing that follows on from that, which I've had to make sure I've got an answer for. Is, and what do you therefore think is your best guess as to what it needs to get better? To try to understand as to, and I often call it, and this is probably another podcast if you fancied it, is that I call it the guy in the other room. Like who's yeah. the person you're typically competing with here? Because if you elicit that information and they say, well, I, th- I think I moved badly, uh, and that's what's doing it, is I'm, I'm putting undue yeah. stress through this and it's damaging X. That's my posture. And then yeah. you say, what, what is it, when, what, therefore, what is it do you think that you need to get better? And you say, well, that's why I'm on the fence about how much you could help because I think I need to go and see a podiatrist because essentially it's, a, it's all the footfall thing. Yeah. I know that the guy in the other room, the person I'm, I'm competing against for, for logic, depending on, by the way, I'm, I'm about to assess this person because they might, they might be right like, on, on something like that. 
but you know they might be someone better suited to, to but you want to know that you want to evaluate that you want to be able to explain to them and often then in, as part of my pitch report and the findings is that i'm then explaining that those features are this is where i think your, your instincts were fairly good but actually the proposition of what would correct for that or, or, or improve that problem actually i think for these reasons i disagree or whatever yeah. it might be sometimes you just say fair play you are right on both counts and let's get on with it um but you know you, you're better off knowing yeah and i think that 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 process of finding that out and, and, and having that extra bit of depth to the social features of your subjective assessment is is really important and it's it's really important for you to best clinically care for them because you understand their individual functional needs and their expectations their goals the the, the ways in which sometimes they think you know you it's the only way sometimes you can elicit a in some people a bit of of, of overzealous paranoia about yeah. just how vulnerable they are and a catastrophizing recess that they might have but then also on the other side you've got sometimes that the asking those questions you realize that they're, they're being probably a bit too cavalier that they, 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 they don't think that that matters so much they're not likely to engage with what what it means for this diagnosis and therefore what they propose is going to get better they don't care sometimes means that they're likely to be quite passive they're not going to yeah. engage necessarily in the process as much you'd rather know about that and therefore to, to not bring that forward means you're going to be a poor clinician but also you're going to then it's going to really corrupt your sales ability and then, you're not going to be able to understand it. and then on the back of that there's two other questions which help that is what you know have you ever seen a chirophysio osteo before and what's your understanding of what i'm going to going to do because if straight away if they're on the well you're probably just going to pop my pelvis back in it's going to feel better then that's a very different conversation to compared to if no i've never seen anyone like this before i've you know are you going to do a bit of massage you're going to you know i have no idea basically and then the other on the back of the the goals type question is i, I don't like the term goals really for patients because i feel that often obviously patient dependent but many of them don't really understand that was if you say uh, i like to phrase it as what's the pain stopping you or this problem stopping you from doing right now and what do you want to get back to that it changes that that perception slightly. Well, actually, I'd really quite like to go and yeah, you know, I can think of a patient straight away who said, "Yeah, I really want to do Everest Base Camp," and he was uh, early sixties at the time. He was like, "I really want to go and climb Everest Base Camp," and uh, and that was his, that was his goal. Whereas you know, it wasn't stopping him. You know, that was his goal. But if I was kind of said, yeah, yeah, probably he would have come up with if I said, "What's your goal?" But I find it often it's a difficult, uh, a harder conversation to uh, to get out of people. Mm, absolutely, I think one of the things that sometimes surprises when. I- when I've talked a bit about sales and marketing and, and things with, within my team or even sometimes in workshops, although, you know, typically, as we've said on this podcast before, me and you, were, we were, were enacting this stuff, but typically not in the business of, of educating and, and teaching it, really. It's something that we're kind of keeping our noses clean on is that people are surprised that one of the key questions that I'm bothered about um, with regards to sales is is saying to patients, especially this is towards the, you know, the um, when, when we've done a very full evaluation i'm sort of saying to them out of interest if you had to if you had to pick one of these two is this something that is an annoyance or a limitation and it's it's often it's between but if they i'm not saying that if they they suggest that this problem is an annoyance that therefore that's not worth managing treating if they get they get a bit of annoying knee pain 20 miles into a marathon don't mean that they therefore aren't worthy of our our care but it's a massive difference in terms of that underlying what might be motivating these behaviors. Am I, is part of my treatment plan more onerous than is worthwhile for the gains that they're going to get? Because it's a bit annoying. If it's a bit annoying, yet what you've actually suggested is quite disruptive to their, to their lifestyle. Um, you, the, the, 
that that is a factor that's going to affect the likelihood of them and what 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 frequency they might be craving yeah. um and it can go either way and so sometimes you want to invite those what feel like you know typically that's me sort of trying to understand the sensitivity and irritability of a problem it, it sounds like a very clinical question but it should influence your sales and it should influence the um way in which you do it and and i think when it comes to the the, the brass tacks on the money is that you've got to for me be in a situation where you don't try to read the minds and, 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 and be so bold as to understand that person's individual finances. That's not fair. It's not right. It's judgmental. Um, and, it's, and it's clumsy. But you're just in a situation instead to sort of say, and this is my favourite line, uh, is, is just say, that this, this, is, this, is what, this is what I think is going on. This is what I suggest. And also, how involved do you want, do you want us in this case? You know, these are your options and this is the trajectory. And these are the, you know, if you do the right things, this is how I feel it's going to go. How involved do you, do you want us? By the way, I've given them a parameters around that then as to sort of suggested what, yeah. what that should look like. But that it's up to them to bring the variable of price in for me. Uh, I don't know if you do anything different to that. No, yeah. So I'm a big fan of giving patients options and giving them the, the A, B or C or A or B type approach in terms of, I don't phrase it quite like that, but it's, these are the options. And I heard it from someone, I can't for the life remember who it was, but she said, imagine if you went to to a dentist and you kind of said, yeah, I've got, the, got this tooth. And he said, yeah, the, this is what you need. You need to have a big gold tooth right in front of your, you know, your, your top teeth. This is going to cost you 500 quid. And then that broke in two years' time, and you went to see a different dentist. And they said, "Oh, yeah, you could have a gold one, or if you paid fifteen hundred quid, you could have a you know a, a normal tooth-coloured one." And the guy, why wouldn't they give me that option? And you know, he because he prejudged me about my finances and assumed that I wouldn't be able to afford that. You know, how would that make you feel? So if you give people the options, as they said, as long as you're, they are bound within your own ethics and within your own treatment parameters, then you give them the option and let them make that decision. Um, as long as they're both good decisions you know that you certainly mm. shouldn't really make a difference for you for a whether they choose a b or c as long as they're good decisions then that's fine um mm. but let them make that let, let, let them make that that choice and you know you can i guess you can always say that yeah this is the preferred option but you know it's up for them to decide which one's best which one's going to be most suited to their goals habits lifestyles everything really absolutely i think that this is what's Sometimes my, my approach is seen as being too vague for some people's taste and then too particular for others. But it's because it's tethered to my reading of the evidence as well as the way in which we are in MSK practice, as well as the, the ethics, the philosophy, the, the, the style of care that we, we, we are looking to deliver as a, as a company, as a brand, as a person. And I think that that's something that, that we all need to sort of get a grip of as well, is that that, that is where there is individual difference and that there isn't a right or wrong on. Um, and what I mean by that is that when there's so many MSK conditions, especially ones of which present to us, especially because we are fairly famously rehab centric practice, as well as one that sees an awful lot of cross referrals. Right. So we see um, one of our little slogans being the, the physios that physios trust. And, uh, and, that, and that's something that ability to, to recognize that that is a, a differential um, of the clientele that might see. But what we, what I therefore have is a read of MSK conditions is that sometimes I'm, I'm making that proposal and I'm sort of saying that there is, th- that given the right circumstances and the right changes that you might make, then this is a positive trajectory that if you don't um, underdo it for whatever reason or overdo it for whatever reason, if you get the right dosage of, of functional scaling of your abilities, uh, then, then you're, you're likely to do well. Then because of that, that which is a vague statement so far, is it, but that is my very genuine read of mo- many cases that come in. Not everyone, absolutely, but, but many cases that come in. And so therefore, when I then say, 
And so then it then comes, you know, how, how involved would you like us in this case? You think that I'm speaking to someone that might have traveled two and a half hours to, to get to us, especially in a pandemic when they're not meant to. And they've been stopped at the Welsh border, been told off by some policeman. Right? So this is the weird world in which we currently live in at the moment with the pandemic. But it's like that that is really relevant, isn't it? Is that, that what frequency would you like us involved in terms of how often might you come in? How often might we do formal virtual consultation? Um, and, and so you might have someone that's five minutes down the road who... You know, unbeknownst to me, he's, he's, he's a multimillionaire that, that then he's just like, you know, uh, in a situation where if, if I'd, he'd prefer to come in every day, then it's, it's up to them to bring some of those variables forward. But you can sort of say that th- this is this is the sort of thing in which it seems initially smart for us to see fairly frequently. So you need to get you into good habits and, and, and change things. And from what I can see from this session, it seems to have been quite useful for you to be exposed to some. Sometimes it's even just these ideas or, yeah. you know, this, this conversation. This, or, or sometimes this this tendon of yours needs loading more than the weights you've got at home. And I've not got these at home, right? It, it seems smart for us to need to load your soleus in our Smith machine. You know, it's like these are relevant variables, especially when the gyms are closed, you know? It's like, yeah. Yeah. so there's so many factors that are so individually specific that I'm not suggesting I then leave it. And it's a, it's a, my version of see how it goes. I'm just saying that there are diminishing returns on someone perceiving that actually they're going to accelerate the recovery by seeing us more frequently. And I just think that that is bullshit. And I think that that is what irritates me is this notion that the more frequent, therefore, the more you're going to facilitate so much recovery. In some circumstances, yes, but only as a means of developing self-efficacy, not because the interventions of which you're doing is facilitating that recovery. It's, it's subtly different, but important to me. And that's my prerogative. That's my choice. Yeah. Um, but people would paint with such a broad brush and suggest that if anything, that, that, that the numbers are really relevant there, like it's that the, the rationale matters less than the actual frequency. You've seen, some, you've seen someone too many times in, a, in a, any given month or quarter, then that's telling. Similarly, there's other side uh, whereby that will suggest that those, those numbers are, are too inherently too low and you're not offering a thorough enough service. And both of those are, are not respecting the individual difference of both clinicians as well as patients. And, and that's what, why we try not to paint with too broad a brush. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. There's, there's, there's situations for every single patient that vary hugely. And you have to take those into account when, you know, it's very easy to sit, sit back on our high horses and judge X, Y, and Z when, you know, it's not always going to be the case, you know, and Mm. it's, (laughs) so I think that's a a really good, good, good note, actually. Could you talk us through an an unethical upsell and an unethical uh, downsell? Like what can you, because those are some things that you brought forward and I thought was really interesting points because Sometimes people can can comprehend one, but then actually underpitching something is, is yeah. And I think that's the one which doesn't get spoken about as much. It doesn't get mm. you know pasted on social media quite as much with the same brush that oversell does. So we start with that. Mm. So my example will be something which we know is not going to be better in three weeks' time. You know, whatever that means—a really acute ankle sprain, a hamstring tear, you know, a really acute lumbar radicular pain, whatever it might be. If you know that that, and you really know, according to all of the research, that this patient is not going to be back on the rugby pitch, you know, next weekend, and they are really keen to get back on the rugby pitch, you know, whatever it takes. And if you're saying, yeah, actually, you know, we'll see what we can. And you're saying, okay, we'll we'll, we'll do some treatment today. We'll, We'll load it. We'll strap it, whatever it might be. You'll probably be good for next week and we'll see how it goes. That to me is an undersell. So that is you are doing that patient a disservice. And you know that if they're going to go sprinting around on a rugby pitch, they're likely to irritate it more. They're likely to, you know, damage is the bad word, but, you know, piss it off more, do more damage, do more harm potentially to that that injury. Um, 
and that's then going to only going to set them back further and that is an undersell for that for that patient and mm-hmm. is is not a good not good clinical care or business sense really for that whereas the oversell is much easier you know that's is is forcing reliance on on you as a practitioner um it's fear-mongering patients into buying packages of care which you know you might feel that they need but you know we know that they don't need according to the evidence and i'm sure that a lot of people who sell these generally believe that this patient you know needs x y or z thousand pounds worth of treatment um but you know we know that that's not the case so although they might not feel that they're doing a lot of these cases same for both they might not feel that they're doing a disservice to the patient you know they're meeting them where they want to be whether that's over or under sell in terms of treatment you know it is a disservice for, for me and that is the, the unethical two sides of the coin i guess absolutely no it's a really really good examples there and i think as well we think of that hamstring is like when you're seeing someone frequently what is it you're inferring that you're doing to facilitate recovery and if it is that you know if you weren't under my hands twice a week then you're not going to you, your fibers are going to scar up and not align properly it's because of the clinical reasoning and the mechanism of effect of which you're deducing, which we would argue is a misreading of, of the current state of affairs in the evidence, as well as our understanding of human physiology. It, 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 that, again, is informing your sales constantly. Sorry to be so repetitive, but it is. Um, I, I want to just touch on the fact that when, when people think about sales, I think one of the things that they feel most uncomfortable about is they think that to sell is to, is to be pushy. Yeah. Or they feel that, that then it's not my disposition to do that. Um, and, and often they're either untaught or also if you think about the sort of character types and personality traits that might then lead someone, typically we're overrepresented with empaths, aren't we? You know, in, 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 and, and rightly so. But then sometimes that means that therefore you're over-empathizing to such an extent you're feeling like you're intimately involved in understanding their personal finances in such a way that it feels uncomfortable, right? You've yeah. kind of gone too far with that. Or you've felt that that conversation's gone so well that you're, you're then starting to account for more variables than you really should be. And that can sometimes limit you. But one of the things I want to reassure people on is that there's a really important tactic within sales, which is ambivalence. And so done really badly, it's you, you, you can be too confident in saying, actually you know, see how it goes and therefore it's been such a good intervention that they're going to be knocking on our door next day because it's been so brilliant that us saying see how it goes they're mortified at the idea of you not having a slot next week is that that's probably a bit too cocksure but generally speaking done properly the dial of ambivalence is smart it's not a perfect example but we're selling um dynamometers at the moment in part because we've got this we've got this active force two unit sorry to drop that in very cheesy of me but uh, essentially the that is slightly different because it's an obvious product but it's priced in such a way and it's so um, accessible. And we really believe in the fact that that getting in the most hands is, is a really good thing for raising standards in MSK amongst other things. What I'm getting at with this is when I'm speaking to someone and someone might call or, or I'm speaking to um, uh, people that want a bit more information about it at the moment, my ambivalence is not falsely, but it's kind of turned up to 11, is that I'm genuinely saying, I'm telling them about it, and they'll have this really interesting. And I, I honestly am saying, how many do you want? Not do you want one? Because it's, it, it, the, the deal is that good. It's that sensible. We're in such agreement. We've not been in dispute about their utility. Yeah. This is someone that's interested. I know the relative price point compared to elsewhere. I know how much value that will bring. I know all the different factors affecting it. And so when I'm, I'm genuinely saying, how many do you want? It, it's, it sounds cheesy, but it's something that applied in a clinical context is that done properly, that's not especially salesy, but it's kind of like, yeah. Why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I see you next week? Because guess, you're backing yourself. 
I guess the difference in that, yeah, you're backing yourself, but you're backing yourself there in a product which is tried, tested, and has, you know, the same results across the board. You know, you use a dynamometer, it's a dynamometer, and you know that it's, it, it's functions, it's ins and outs, it, it's a hard, it, they're hard, cold facts. Whereas I guess a lot of the uncertainty around sales is when someone comes in with lumbar radicular pain, you generally don't know whether they are going to be better in six weeks or they're going to be one of those people that go down the line of having further interventions, injection surgeries. And we know, you know, the present, we know that from the evidence of percentages of that, it is the very small percentages, but you know, you know, as well as I do that those are those cases, for example, are very varying up and down. So I think people always be on the back foot in not providing overconfidence and you can be confident without being overconfident. And as you said, being too cocksure, but the, you know, if you're saying to people, yes, you are going to be better in six weeks or you are going to be better in a fort, whatever it might be, that might not be the case. So people are always backpedaling and you never want to be in a position when someone comes in. And I think it's the, the fear that everyone has. Someone comes in in six weeks and says, you said I'd be better by now and I'm actually worse or I'm actually still in just as much pain. And I think that's the the secret gremlin that sits on everyone's shoulder that they're going to be called out or then they're, you know, they extrapolate this in your mind. Oh, I'm going to be taken to court because I told him it was going to be better. And now it's not. And he missed his daughter's <laughs> wedding and whatever it might be. And, yeah. you know, those are the fears that people hold on to. And I think that's what holds people back from being, being cocksure and being that. Mm. Done well Which, with experience, then you've pitched them plan B and C as well, though, haven't you? You've given them yeah. a range of life and possibilities. You've helped them to understand the typical trajectories of something mm. like this. This is one of the things that I think is really, you think about that, that the bullshit that comes from people going into it a bit too soon. So if, if someone is fresh out, fresh out of um, and, and doing their own thing without any sort of sense of, of, of clinical supervision, remote or otherwise, you can so understand that they're having to they're having to guess on a on a bit of a whim, aren't they? Uh, whereas that's where that experience does help is that you kind of able to say, um, well, everyone's a unique individual, and the circumstances around their case is always unique. It's something that you can then you're giving your best guess on a circumstance. You're giving them a pitch as to hypothesis what you've hypothesized to be the trajectory of this, and then. You know, if, if that doesn't turn a corner, which I'd be disappointed if it didn't, but, you know, we have got these other options available and we'll definitely be considering that. And often that comes up in the form of people saying, do you think I need a scan? You know, it happens, I mean, how many times a day, Rob, we have that conversation, but it's remiss if you then say, oh, no, like, you, know, you almost turn your nose up at that idea. You then say, well, yeah. at this stage, I think that would probably be a bit hasty, but it's absolutely something that can be in our future and might facilitate what we're doing. But the timing is really important for this. So someone's coming with a massive, massively swollen knee. We've not had any any moment in which we've even had a chance to, to do it. It's like, MRI that tomorrow. It's like a, the MRI equivalent of a car crash in there. I think that would probably be a bit hasty. Let's just see um, what's going on here. And um, and and so that circumstance and the, and the plan B and C etc. and, and the, the package of which you've managed their expectations is sensible and that should be a part of what you've sold. I think as well, you, it's well smart for for people to just just take a moment to realise that when I'm because you're right, the product versus service thing is different, but it's it's something that being comfortable in saying that what I've just suggested is the best option on the table right now. And I'm genuinely feel that genuinely believe it being honest with yourself, being honest with the patient is not that dissimilar to how I feel when I say how many of these dynamometers do you use is that fundamentally it's that not because it's super brilliant because the circumstances around them using that and needing it, they might still be disappointed that purchase. Right. But it's just that I'm, I'm being genuine when I say that I think that'd be a good idea for you to do that. And, And that is something that I'm often saying with patients is that, you know, this, this, I think you'd be wise to act on this advice or for us to collaborate in this way. And, 
And if they then opt out of that or for whatever reason or, or want to, to reopen some negotiation as to how that might better suit their needs, that's not a problem. But there's, there's no conviction there. But there's still confidence. There's still enough assurance and esteem for me to then say, like, I think, I think this is a, a bloody good guess uh, as best I can from what I've come to evaluate in my professional decision as to what you've paid us for. You've paid us for a professional consultation and this is my evaluation and summary of that. And I think that that is something that doesn't need to be cocksure, but similarly, as you mentioned really well, it, it doesn't need to be sort of too dithery because that definitely doesn't see things over and speaks to our last podcast, which is about it doesn't garner compliance with either systems or processes yeah. that then help us to get the results we want. No, exactly. And I think the other phrase which I use a lot to help garner some confidence and stuff is, is, is what would you do if it's my family member? And I said, you know, if, if you were my father, grandmother, son, daughter, this is what I would do. And, you know, rightly or wrongly, that's for a different question. But, you know, for example, I had a lady who um, she was, she needed to have a knee replacement and she was going down that line. And she said, you know, who, which surgeon should I see? You know, that type of thing. And we were doing some kind of prehab management type thing before she went under the knife and I said I go see surgeon x down the road you know that's who I sent my father to you know and that straight away is that okay I I trust him you know if that's who he went to then you know that's and straight away she said cool I I wouldn't consider anyone else and that's the you can Mm. use those types of phrases and help people gain some confidence in your recommendations if you have generally I mean I wouldn't lie about it but if you have generally done something like that then that works well yeah, absolutely. And it's something that needs to be done judiciously with regards to friends and family, but also, you know, there's, don't, it can be really helpful done well. I mean, one of the things that's interesting with me is that I've got kind of well-documented cases of injury as being a bit of a social commentator in this space. So I've got podcasts in which people know I've had a spinal surgery, for example. And so sometimes I'm even overtly asked that because part of their research and coming to see me has been that. Um, but it's one of the things that sometimes can be helpful, uh, but then sometimes people will over-transpose my story onto that. And that's something that they're then got kind of uh, concerned, you know, almost. Yeah. It's like, well, if even you needed surgery, then, you know, it's like, well, let's talk about the differences there. And I think that, therefore, that there are ways in which you can sometimes use your own personal injury or the circumstances, family members of which have been in similar cases. Um, and then also, it's it's also a useful way of sort of personalising things where appropriate, is that, um, you know, because <laughs> you go, I don't I can't, I can't remember um, where it was, but it was a, a colleague of mine that'd say, um, well, you know, I, that, like you said, I'd, I'd send me, if it, if it were my mum, I'd go and see so-and-so. If my mother-in-law, I'd go and see so-and-so. It was like a, a classic sort of uh, um, baiting on a, a joke as if to suggest... Um, <laughs> I like that. Uh, and, 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 and I said, I said, blimey, you, you, you're accidentally slandering that surgeon by suggesting that. And, and, uh, and they were saying, oh, don't worry, that's a made-up name. It was like Mr. Smith down the road. <laughs> yeah. So it was only a bit of a play. But it's kind of, if you think about how those conversations will go and how personal that is, is that, let's be fair, and it's probably a smart place to wrap up, is that the thing that stops sales being uncomfortable and artificial is it not being. And what I mean by that is you just try to find things that are compatible with you, your style, your humor, and to don't then think that you can read sort of business sales and management books in which it's about used cars and think that that applies to professional healthcare services. There are principles of which can be done, but essentially humanize it to you, work out what you're comfortable with, because if you don't do that work, then it's definitely not worthwhile. And no wonder it feels strange is because it's artificial and not incompatible with your own values. Yeah, if, if you've been given a script to read, which, you know, isn't compatible with your own values, but you're, you're trying to remember that verbatim, that's going to come across and patients are going to understand that and they're going to see through that in an instant. Patients, I think that's another note to kind of wrap up with is that 
patients know when they're being sold something that you don't believe in. They, they, they understand that. You know, if you think of the most animated salesman, which you know, you've bought something from, they believed and they trust in that product. Yeah, whereas you know when you're being sold something which A, you don't really need or you don't really want, and you're left with a sore taste in your mouth when, when, when the patient walks out the door. And you know, no one enjoys that both the patient or the clinician. So it's uh, something to, to stay well clear from. Whoever told you it was the best you know, reporter finding script under the, under the sun, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, there's something to be said, especially early doors in your career. You've got to try different types and formats. And sometimes, yeah, there's phrases you might retrofit, but God forbid when it's a script. I mean, just something that definitely is, is where those conversations me and you had last time about them being really useful processes and formats. In this instance, you know, it's really not fair if, if those are too tightly bound with regards to pictures and, and, and in sales and stuff. That's where it starts to get false. You know, don't mistake our prior podcast about uh, about the fact that you want to try to have some consistency with stuff like this. You do want to individualize it, not just to the patient's cases we've gone to death arm today, but also to your own self and values and stuff and make it as authentic as possible. Because if you're not comfortable, you're not going to come across as comfortable. And no wonder we really struggle with that as an industry at large. Um, thank you so much as ever for, for listening. Really appreciate it. This is part of the Physio Matters Network, of course. So do follow at TPM Podcast for all updates there. I'm at Jack A. Chew on Twitter, and that's pretty much my own personal socials. Rob, give them your, you've got like 10 handles now across all sorts of stuff. Oh, I swear I do. Pod. I know too many. Yeah, I've got, I've got at Rob Cairo um, across, in, I think, Instagram, which I don't really use, and Twitter. Um, and then, yeah, at the Back Pain Podcast on across all, all social medias as well. So on both of those, there's too many to remember, really, isn't there? I know exactly. Yeah, we need to, well, I'm sure we can put that uh, across the show notes, but it'll probably fill the show notes, the amount of yeah. social media we have to use for this stuff. But, yeah, I hope that's been useful. Really appreciate it. And thank you for those that have been feeding back as this show emerges and grows. We're never professing to be experts on this stuff, but we have got uh, quite the lived experience on it and act on it as best we can. And we grapple with these issues, both uh, plenty between us off air. And so we wanted to bring some of these conversations to you um, so that you could maybe learn from them too. If you have anything you want to challenge us on, that's the, our favorite thing to hear. So please do let us know, uh, positive or negative, and offer feedback. And make sure you do follow this feed, uh, the Physio Matters feed gets you know, boosts some of these episodes but make sure that you get find therapy business matters wherever it is you listen to podcasts and subscribe and of course ratings and reviews much appreciated as it's a new show thanks a lot and uh, we'll speak to you soon all the best